Welcome to Some Women Talk Wine. I'm Christy, your resident wine nerd, educator, and blogger. And I'm Sharice, your street smarts service guru. Join us each episode as we translate nerdy wine tips into savvy wine tricks. Real talk without all the fruits and fluff. Because some, some women, women talk, talk wine. wine. Well, hello, Sharice. Hey, Christy, what's happening? Oh, well. We're getting ready to launch into your absolute favorite topic, my, and I'm going to sit back, kick back, and enjoy. My favorite thing. Absolutely. But, you know, housekeeping first. That's true. Uh, first of all, welcome to Some Women Talk Wine, everyone, and uh, thank you guys. We've had such fun watching our audience grow, uh, so thanks to those who have already followed us. Um, please like us, comment, share, share, share. That's how our audience grows. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. It's I, I've loved seeing the text messages from people's cars with yeah. Uh, yeah, with our SWTW episode four. So thank you all so much for all your support. We it's appreciate it. It's been great. It's been great. Uh, another thing, another housekeeping moment. Um, first of all, uh, we want to introduce you to our Patreon page. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it is a fantastic platform that uh, we can share private content for sponsors only. Um, if you like what you hear on the podcast, this takes you a little bit deeper inside. You get to do what with us? Taste. You get to drink wine with us. You get so, to drink wine. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll uh, upload tastings that we've done together, and we'll just go over the wines. We get to drink some wine. Um, you, you get to drink along with us, so... A lot of these wines are available close to you, or we'll give you um, a link to get to get some of these wines, so you can drink along with us. Absolutely, and they are videos versus just audios, um, so it's a great way to to get a little bit more familiar with us, and and we share some of our favorite wine explorations. So for literally less than the price of a glass of wine each yeah. uh, each month, you can be a sponsor, and you'll get uh, super early access to that content and and get to have fun with us like we said yeah and this it also helps us um fund some of (laughs) some of of our wine so yeah we can't afford to drink it all all the time so exactly so each one of our uh episodes does does require uh wine purchases as well as the technology to bring it to you so anyway thank you for considering if you just go to patreon.com and it is under some women talk wine super simple Alrighty, so Sharice, oh, drum roll, yay! Please. I'm so excited about this. So everyone knows, everyone knows that I'm a bubbles girl. So, <laughs> and it's like that's everything. Everything we're gonna talk about today, like what the differences are, what's the difference between champagne and prosecco and cava, um, what exactly is the difference in one bottle of sparkling wine versus champagne? What is the difference? So. That's what we're going to talk about today. Exactly. Exactly. So my, uh, you know, of course, I have to start with a nerdy fun fact. So as I was kind of doing some background on this, um, I I know um, we all know that there is a sparkling wine made in in the U.S. and it actually used to be called champagne. We'll talk about why it can't be that anymore. Um, but we usually think of the champagne region in France or you know prosecco uh, out of Italy as kind of the 
premier sparkling wines, and and most everyone thinks of it as being sort of a, a, a European origin. But the U.S. has a really fun and long history in making sparkling wines. Um, the Pleasant Valley Wine Company in New York Finger Lakes in the Keuka Lake region, um, back, I mean, this is back in the 18. 18- hundreds, literally shocked the world stage um, in getting an honorable mention at the Paris Exposition Universal, which was kind of the, at the time, the expo for, you know, bringing premier wine, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of wine competition. Um, And then in addition, they won the first place prize at the World's Fair in Austria for American sparkling wine in 1873. Um, Then it was called the Great Western Champagne. Again, as I said, um, that was before they changed the laws and, and it could still be called that. So, I mean, Finger Lakes in New York was winning, you know, wine competitions for sparkling wine on the the world stage, you know, 150 years ago. That is crazy. Who knew? Yeah, and people think that Champagne uh, is the first region to produce sparkling anyway, and that's so not true. Um, They, Cremant was probably long, long, long before that, but Cremant was the most popular sparkling wine much before... Champagne really came about. So, um, and I'm sure you're going to tell everyone what you know. Give us the details on what Cremant is as we get along. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's first talk about bubbles, and I mean actual bubbles, the bubbles in the the sparkling wine, because a lot of you will have a bottle of sparkling and be like, you know, I can't drink this. It just it gives me heartburn. I don't like champagne. I don't like bubbles. The bubbles are too big. The bubbles. I think that most people could probably find a sparkling wine that appeals to them if they know what they're looking for. And that's because there's different, I'll say, levels of carbonation, Absolutely. different sizes of bubbles. Absolutely. I mean, not all bubbles are made the same. Not all <laughs> bubbles are created equal. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, there are a couple different terms um, that they use to designate different Bubbles and pressure in the bottle. Bubbliness. Yes. Bubbliness. (laughs) So um, if it's a beady wine, that means that there's less than 15 PSI pressure in the bottle. So... um, And how would that feel in your mouth? Almost frizzante. So just a little tickle. tickle, That's not a full-on bubble. Okay. Then you get into semi-sparkling, which is about 15 to 36 PSI. Okay. That could feel kind of bubbly, pretty bubbly. Um, We've got semi-sparkling frizzante, spritzig, uh, pet nets. Oh, that's a good one. Are right in this, yeah, yeah, right in this region, or right in this area of um, PSI. Yeah. So it's just below what's required for champagne. So for champagne, it's at least 44 PSI. Okay. Um, Same thing with cava, um, cremants. And anything that's labeled Spumante. Okay, so anything that's in that, what we really consider that true, true bubble. Yeah, and and just to clarify, Petnat a lot of times is very sparkly, mm-hmm. um, is very bubbly, and that's just because of the fermentation process, and you know, then everything is contained in the bottle. Right. There's no disgorgement. Right. You know, so. Um, if the if it began if it needed to be higher psi that bottle would probably explode there are also regulations on the glass used yes yes and a uh, lot of this production as i'm sitting here looking at these <laughs> bottles i was thinking that um 
you know, we went to Champagne a couple of years ago and it was so much fun getting down into the caves, into the cellars, because you'd be walking along and there's just row after row, stack upon stack of these, you know, bottles, you know, covered with dusty, funky yes. stuff. Yes. And then every once in a while there's a hole. Right. And it's because the the, the, pump, the bottom of the, the bottle exploded because of the pressure. And yeah. that just happens. And they warn you about that when you go down in there. It's like, be very careful. Wine bottle or champagne bottles can explode. They can. <laughs> and if they are, one reason you don't savor pet nut or anything right. other than champagne is because of the regulations on the glass. Um, and... They have to be a certain weight and a certain level of thickness. Right. Um, otherwise, the pressure in the bottle. It'll shatter. It'll it shatter the yeah. bottle, yeah. Yeah. Cool, 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 um, cool. So let's talk about what makes champagne champagne. So most people know, some people know, some people don't, that champagne, true champagne can only be grown in the champagne region, right. region of France. Um, in this region, there are three varietals yep. that go into champagne. Really simple. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Meunier. So I used to say, I can't stand Chardonnay. I'm not a Chardonnay girl. I don't like Chardonnay. But I love Champagne. And I'm like, well, that's an oxymoron. Exactly. So um, if you are a person that likes Blanc de Blanc, then you're drinking Champagne 100% Chardonnay. If you're you know, a Blanc de Noir kind of person, you're drinking something that's majority Pinot Noir or Meunier. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but it still can. It's still a white wine. I mean, yeah. it's still not tinted. You can have a rosé champagne. Yeah, it can be. It could, it can have color, and it may not. It just depends on the winemaking style. Yeah. Um, they may leave uh, the juice in contact with the skins for a little while just to get a little color, a little pink, a little bit pink, but um, not required. And not, there aren't regulations on that when it comes to. Calling a wine a, um, a sparkling rosé or a champagne a sparkling rosé or not. Yeah. So one of the things that I think, um, going back to the varietals you just talked about, mm-hmm. you know, this this was kind of an interesting history. Again, geeky fun fact for me. Um, you talked about the history not necessarily being champagne, but but Cremant. So other regions of France that are producing wine or sparkling wine in the same method as champagne, but not in the champagne region. And, you know, what I didn't realize is that these are all super cool climate uh, grapes. And and the reason champagne came about is the grapes weren't getting ripe enough and you'd have this really highly acidic, not good still wine, right? Right, right. Absolutely. And they they needed to figure out how to make that high acid wine palatable. Exactly. And so you're going to tell us all about some of those influences that take it from that almost like drinking straight lemon juice. Yeah, uh, That absolutely. high acidity um, to, to something that's absolutely magic in a bottle. Yeah. I mean, most of it has to do with the secondary fermentation in the bottle. Yeah. So it's the, the yeast um, being left in the bottle before disgorgement and them riddling. So yeah. let's talk about kind of the method. Yeah, let's go through the whole process. Yeah. yeah. So what happens first? Uh, first, they fer- they ferment the still wine. Right. They bottle it. Um. So let's start to finish. Press the grape. They harvest, press, ferment. Um. A lot of times, they'll ferment in barrel or in tank. Yeah. Um, depending on the the winemaker style. 
Um, and then they'll put the wine in a champagne bottle mm-hmm. with a crown cap. So what's a crown cap? A crown cap is the same thing that comes on a beer, like a beer and bottle. a Topo Chico. Yeah. Right? So, or... Or any kind of yeah, yeah, any kind of soda in a bottle. Yeah, so um, they'll put that crown cap on top, and the wine will go uh, will undergo a secondary fermentation at that time. Because they're at they add before they do that, they have to add um, some sugar and yeast. Right, they add yeast secondary fermentation, and they add sugar. There have been some um, champagnes that actually used to add brandy. Which is seriously, yeah, which is kind of crazy, but um, that's not something that's normally done in champagne. No, but I want, I but, want to try that. Yeah, <laughs> but but it has happened. Um, so in this process, they they're aging the the wine on the lees, and it goes into the this rack called a riddling rack. At that point. These bottles are being lifted and turned a quarter of a turn a day, yeah. right? So, um, thirty-six months is the requirement, and they are turning these bottles so that the yeast moves around in the bottle, not too quickly, mm-hmm. um, and then it's being it's being turned basically on its head. So from horizontal almost to vertical, upside down. Yes, and um, all the while they're being turned a quarter of a turn. Um, this helps to get yeast contact throughout the entire bottle and we're turning it vertical on its head so that the yeast, the dead yeast cells are starting to fall towards the cap into the neck, into the neck of the bottle. Right. So at this point they do something called disgorgement. Um, once they've gotten all the yeast down into the neck of the bottle, they basically flash freeze all the necks of the bottle and take this little, take the crown cap off, and this little icicle of dead yeast cells, dead yeast, yum, <laughs> mm. uh, yeast cycle, yeah, comes out of this bottle. Um, and that is when they'll add a little more steel wine if they if they need to fill the bottle, yeah, top it off. Some people add sugar at this point to, to for the desired flavor profile or sweetness mm-hmm. um, of the champagne, and then they'll add a mushroom cork, a cage foil yeah and it is ready for you to do all the things that you want to do with this beautiful bottle of bubbles so go let's go back to to the to the dead yeast cells because i mean this is something that you know as you're listening to this you may be going that's gross i've never heard of that but you know you may have heard of lees or surly aging yeah um so so what uh, you talked about the secondary um fermentation, you know, fermentation process mm-hmm. you talked about uh secondary influences so what when you know you think of yeast this is how i remember it yeast is used in bread making right and it gives a off a brioche type flavor profile yeah. or a toasted bread flavor profile in the wine so a lot of times when people are wanting a blanc de blanc or a champagne or a chardonnay forward Champagne, they are looking for that flavor profile. Kind of that, to- that toasty, yeasty, bready. Yeah, so you're looking for that brioche kind of toasted almond sometimes yeah, yeah. that you'll get on the um, on the palate with those wines. Um, you get less of it when you're looking at Blanc de Noirs or um, wines that are more Meunier and Pinot Noir forward right. just because the, yeah. the fruit hides some of that toastiness. But... Um, it also adds uh, an element of creaminess 
on the palate. It softens it. It makes Absolutely. it a little. People talk about it being a little rounder, so yeah. it kind of tones down. It some tones of that down all acidity. that acid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, when you're looking at creamier style champagnes, a lot of times those have been aged a lot longer on the lees. So for non-vintage champagne, it's a minimum of 15 months um, lees aging. Okay. Before disgorgement. Okay. And the, and and in so in France, uh, as with most European regions, there's very very specific regulations about each step along the way, right? Absolutely. What about in the U.S.? So in the U.S., it's not regulated. Okay. You can do whatever you want with a bottle of sparkling wine and call it sparkling. Wine. America the free. Mm-hmm. Girl, you know we love it. <laughs> so we do what we want. So um, there are no regulations, but. A lot of sparkling wine makers in the United States are making their bubbles method champenois. So there are several different methods in making sparkling wine. So if you see method champenois on a bottle, that means that it was made with the same requirements as true champagne. And same with traditional method as well, yes. I mean, which is kind of the simpler, <laughs> simpler yeah, the way sim- to say simpler it. Term. Yeah, yeah, and um, they use traditional method more often um, in reference to kava. Uh, yeah. So kava is the same. Kava also um, will be labeled traditional method or method champenois, and you know that all of the steps that I just reviewed have been used in creating that bottle of... The Magnolia is a proud sponsor of Some Women Talk Wine. The Magnolia is a neighborhood bar located in the heart of Fort Worth's favorite street, Magnolia Avenue. Magnolia is your one-stop shop. Stop by for a glass on the newly remodeled patio, a cocktail at the bar, or listen to live music. We'd love to host your next private event or introduce you to your new favorite wine or cocktail. When you look at champagne in general, I mean, it is typically priced much higher than what you'll see other traditional methods or, or cavas. Um, and a lot of that has to do with that hand riddling you've talked about. Um, one of the really cool things I saw when we were in Champagne was the, and there's a, there is a name for it, Giro something, I forget, but the, the automated uh, bottle Riddly, uh, riddling Riddler, machines. Yeah. And it's like this big cube on a on a post and it actually does that riddling process mm-hmm. you know yeah. every day kind of moves the wine around in that same way so you get the same influence but without all of that hand touch so right it is taking some of the cost out it's it's the same it, it's still called traditional method yeah absolutely mechanical riddling riddle hand riddling is not a requirement just riddling, riddling is, a is a requirement okay so um I mean, it's awesome that they've come up with this. And I've seen it, um, actually, when I visited Domain Carneros. Mm-hmm. They have one that, that Does riddles the... the yeah. yeah. So, and they are also um, traditional methods. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the, the fact that it's by hand... Um, is just kind of a nuance to a lot of champagnes that are out there. Right. And it does add to the cost. So does the bottle. Because, Correct. once again, yeah. we talk about the weight of the glass on this bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Just remember, you're not ever going to see this bottle until minimum 15 months after it was right. harvested. So they're they're sitting on this wine for probably 18 to 24 months before you even see it in market. So that's another thing yeah. that adds to the cost, right? Um, of course. And then for vintage, you're adding another 11 months onto the riddling process. So that's why your vintage bubbles are usually 
more expensive than the non-vintage. So let's talk about that a little bit. We we mentioned that briefly in our luxury wine or wine and fashion um, episode three. But for you know for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, uh, you might have missed that. Go back and listen to it. It's a lot of fun. Um, but let's talk about vintage and non-vintage. I mean, because I still crack up at, again, my dorky nerdiness when this is probably 10 years ago. I had a bottle of champagne and I was like, you know, of course, I'm just starting to learn about wine in general. Mm -hmm. And there was no date on it. I mean, like, you know, I've got this, you know, 2004 Cabernet from Napa Valley. I've got this 2012 whatever. And I've got this bottle of champagne, but it doesn't have a freaking date on it. Why did it not have a date on it? It, It's multi-vintage. So they're using juice from more than one vintage to create that bottle. And a lot of times, um, their cuvées, their, their special blends. Yeah. Cuvée basically is a blend. It's a blend. Yeah. Right. So, um, and that just means that they cannot put, they can't put 2014, 15 and 16 on the bottle. Right. It, so, yeah. so since they're blending vintages, they just label it as such yeah. non-vintage so or you'll see NV. NV. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the reason they do that is, um, each harvest, we, we've talked about the fact that, you know, Mother Nature gives the winemaker or the, the, the grower something new every year. Right. And so if you have a, a lot of champagne houses, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, you know, winemakers, still winemakers like to let Mother Nature speak differently each vintage. Right. Champagne houses or bubble houses, we'll call them, because we're not right. talking just about champagne, um, they have a style. So when you think Correct. of Vouv and you right. think of the orange label or you think of Bilicart and you think of all the different styles that they make, you, you buy it because you... You know what you're getting in the bottle and and with non-vintage champagne they can create this very consistent style and product throughout the years throughout the blending so um with the blending they'll take and maybe their pinot produced you know more berry flavor this year so in this cuvee they're going to use less they're going to use more chardonnay because the chardonnay was you know just big and beautiful this year gave off more you know floral notes or, you know, it threw more citrus on, on this particular yeah. year, whatever they need to blend that wine to make it consistent to our palates right. is what they're going to do. So, um, they're going to, they're, they're going to be different levels of disgorgement on different, you know, envies and different, but for consistency, they need to blend. Um, and that's what you're looking. That's what you're looking to find in non-vintage bottles. Right, and, and that's what we go back for. We we love that particular brand. Mm-hmm. We love that particular style, and so we're going with it. So then, sw- switching over to vintage. Um, obviously, vintage means it's got a date on it, right. whatever that date is. So, right. what what decisions are behind having a vintage? So when you're looking at vintage champagnes, it's like okay, you know, um, Tanjay says. We had an amazing year with our Chardonnay, and we are going to take X amount of our grapes and our, our harvest and use it because it's so beautiful this year, and we're using it in a vintage champagne. Typically, um, the majority of all grapes and champagne go into non-vintage. Right. Um, I've been told, I don't know this for a fact, but I've been told that vintage champagne is more of an American thing than it is a European thing. Europeans don't care about a a single vintage of champagne. That's so cool. But, um, 
you know, we like we like to know what we're getting and, and we like to be fancy right. and, 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 and exclusive. So it is nice to know, hey, this year you either produced so much and your harvest was so bountiful that you could take a portion of your grapes and and produce a single vintage champagne that year or you just knew that this was right. so perfect and it had all the marks that you wanted to hit that you wanted to bottle it all by itself. Yeah, absolutely. So most vintage champagnes are because the vintage was so special that they did not want to blend it with anything else. And I've been seeing a lot of releases of, uh, you know, talking about the the harvest in champagne and I'll throw out 2008 was so magical. Mm -hmm. And so these um, vintage um, labeled champagnes are starting to, to really... Um, shine because another thing about it, we talked about the high acidity. Uh, what's surprising as well, we think in in the U.S., you know, you bring that bottle home, you pop that cork, you drink it. I mean, most most of us don't cellar wine, but champagne, especially vintage, vintage champagne with the high acidity, you can you can cellar it for yeah, decades. Yes, absolutely. You, I mean. That's that's pretty much where vintage champagne came from, yeah. too. It's just, you know, people figured out, I made this wine, and it, there is enough acid in it. And it's not there to throw a consistent flavor profile, because the bottle will change a little bit right. with age also. So, um, you know, the color's going to change on the wine. It's going to get richer and uh-huh. deeper, especially when it's Chardonnay-based. Yes. Um, and they they can go forever. But when you get a beautiful vintage champagne, those those bright acidic, you know, notes that were there formerly are now starting to deepen and richen. Right. And now you're starting to get you're really starting stuff. to get a, uh, almost a slight oxidative uh, quality to the wine. And that's when you start to get these rich, like toasted Baked, like mm, yeah, yeah, no, it's making my mouth. <laughs> we might have to uh, pop that right. pop that cork after all. Flavor yeah. profile in these um, vintage champagnes, and I just I think you know most vintage champagnes require three years. Mo- I think a lot of producers are holding on to them more six eight years before right. release, and once those wine by the time they've been um, reviewed. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, I had um, going back to your point about how different they can be, um, and I'm trying to think exactly what the champagnes or th- they were sparkling wines. They were they were American sparkling wines from Napa, but it was like a 91 and a 92, um, and we we had them next to each other, and I cannot even begin to tell you how different. They were. I mean, one harvest apart, the same exact grapes, the same exact winemaking style and the traditional method. And these, like I said, they could not have been more different. Um, so it, it, it really, I mean, to me, that was probably having those right next to each other, that mini vertical, I'll call yeah. it. Um, you know, just tasting side by side really did scream this is why vintage champagnes exist in the first right, place. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, to be able to produce something from one harvest in champagne is really starting to get challenging. Um, harvests, harvests haven't been as bountiful 
as they right. were in years past. Right. Um, and the profiles getting, are changing too. Yeah, they're getting frost a lot, and that's ruining. You know, after bud break, which is you know definitely making a huge difference when it comes to um, the amount of grapes that the uh, vines are producing. So. Yeah. Um, but as we're talking about, we've covered method champion law. Right. Um, Let's talk about Prosecco a little bit, because typically Prosecco is made in a different method. And it gets a bad rap a lot. Well, that's because people think that all Prosecco is sweet. Well, Um, good point. And and all Prosecco is not sweet. There is extra brute Prosecco. So there is very dry Prosecco out there. Um, One Another reason that Prosecco gets a bad rap is because people always think of it as being cheap. So Prosecco is way less expensive than Champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, you can sometimes find Cava around the same price as Prosecco. Prosecco I think Cava is a great value. Oh, I think Cava is a fantastic value. Yeah, especially when you start finding, start looking into those, you know, tr- traditional method Cava's mm-hmm. with the leaves aging. You're getting creaminess. You're getting, I mean, the grapes are different. It's not Chardonnay. Um, but you st- you're still getting a lot of those same qualities that you find in champagne. Yeah. But uh, as for Prosecco, the main grape is Glera. So I don't know if people really know the no grape. One, no one's heard. Well, yeah. because in, in Europe, you don't put the varietal on, on the bottle, any bottles. Right. right. You know, so, I mean. So since it's labeled Prosecco and this is European, we know that Prosecco is a region. So um, the, the Prosecco region, Glera is the basic grape that's used in all production. Um, and you can blend. No, it's a white grape, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's white. Well, yeah. So you can blend. They do allow um, up to 15% of other local varieties in Prosecco, okay. but it needs to be 85% Glera. Okay. Now, so they have recently allowed um, in Italy Pinot Noir, or, or, or I'm sorry, Prosecco Rosé now. So now it is. I haven't a, had that. Yeah. So it is. There is now a legal DOC and DOCG designation for Prosecco Rosé. Now, it so they will blend Pinot Noir okay. into Glera or with Glera a okay. lot of times, and produce this really beautiful, you know, pink fizzy uh, Prosecco. Prosecco. Yeah. So. Um, it's it's hit, it hit the market about two years ago pretty hard, um, and so you'll see it out now. You'll notice prosecco rosé, prosecco rosé. They weren't allowed to call it that before. I, I believe it was two years ago that that changed. So that, it was that law changed, um, like a sparkling rosé or something. Just yeah, it had generic. it had to be sparkling rosé and not prosecco. Interesting. Rose. Okay. So here's another one of my little. Nerdy facts. It, hey, like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm, hold oh, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to steal your thunder. Cherise put forward a nerdy <laughs> fact. Wow, I am so excited. I am rubbing off on her, everyone. Only Please on this topic. So, on, on that note, um, uh, you know, going back to nerdy topics, uh, one thing that we, we didn't talk about with traditional method, and we'll, we'll, but I think in general, one of the things I just so appreciate about any kind of sparkler is. They're typically low alcohol. Yes, and Prosecco is definitely lower alcohol most of the time. So um, their minimum alcohol content is 10.5 as as a regulation. Okay. Um, but most 
Proseccos you won't find over 12.5%. I was going to say, I, I can't even think of anything over, no, that I've had but they, that. But they do have to have a minimum um, yeah. on the amount of alcohol. So 10.5 is the minimum. There's not a max, but you won't. You typically do not see Prosecco more than 12.5%. Yeah. And that's, um, that's pretty interesting when you think about the fact that, um, like going back to traditional, with going through two fermentations, and each time, you know, sugar plus yeast equals alcohol. So if you think about a double fermentation, you, you would, math would teach you to think that it would be higher alcohol. But because... It, these wines are high acidity and, and it takes them, it's hard to get in these regions the grapes ripe. They've got to be lower sugar to start with. So I would say the still wine, it starts off pretty low alcohol anyway. So Prosecco is made in Charmat method. Yeah, and talk, it doesn't, talk us it, through that. It, it only goes through one, one, one fermentation process. So what they do is they put the grapes in the steel, in this steel tank and they seal it. Mm-hmm. So during fermentation, that yeast plus sugar gives you alcohol. I like to call it a I like to call it a Pac-Man effect, right? So, <laughs> so Pac-Man eats the sugar. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Pac-Man is the yeast. The yeast okay. eats the sugar. The sugar farts out CO2, <laughs> and it gives you alcohol, right? But that and gag, then it dies, and then, then Pac Man dies, and then Pac Man dies, and he he drops to the bottom of the ocean of wine. But that when he farted, I promise out we that, have not been drinking. He farted at that little gas that literally was CO two. So what they do in Charmant method is they in this tank they seal that tank so that the CO two is captured. It has to integrate, and it integrates in the wine in turn making it sparkly. So instead of having that secondary fermentation in a bottle, which does the same thing, CO2 is trapped by that crown cap and then it just has no place to go but integrate into the wine. Right. So creating sparkling wine. Right. This is done in a larger format. So I can only imagine, I mean, you think about like a pressure cooker, how much pressure, I mean, all these tanks are not small. No, these are gigantic tanks. And Thousands of gallons. Yes. And, and so they yeast, they, they'll filter out the yeast okay. from the bottom of the tank and then they bottle Yeah, and cork it. So you, when you say they filter it out, so... I don't, I mean, one of the, the, when you're tasting two bubbles and you don't know which one's traditional method, which one's Prosecco, Prosecco never, or in my opinion, never has that, that yeasty, toasty, nutty brioche that we just talked about. I haven't tried, I haven't tried one that has those qualities. Yeah. So the fact that they're not stirring Batonage. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're not stirring the leaves. They're not they're not trying to integrate the yeast okay. back into the wine. So they want the yeast to do its job in the fermentation only. In the fermentation only. But no to secondary the CO2. No. And then they want to get rid of it. So that is why Prosecco is typically so crisp okay. and very clean tasting. Gotcha. Um the other thing is, you know, the low alcohol volume, that's why people call Prosecco a breakfast wine. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but yeah. so Prosecco, it's because it's so low in alcohol. Um, I've seen some spark, Italian sparkling wines that are not labeled Prosecco, but made in the Prosecco region at 8%. Ah, uh, they can't be because they don't meet that 10, 10.5. 10. 
So can can you let's say you make um, you use the Charmont method uh-huh. um, in we talked about upstate New York or California. Can mm-hmm. you call it Prosecco then? Mm-hmm. No. So it's the same rules as champagne. Absolutely. And we okay. know that European rules are staunch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> very yeah. You don't mess with them. No. So it's like they want their regions to be known for the grapes that are indigenously grown and the methods that they've adopted the and used processes. yeah and used for gotcha. years. So So you could have Charmont method wines made in other regions but you'll never see anything labeled prosecco other than something that comes from prosecco. Got it. Yes. Cool. So, um, one more method that I want to talk about or one another, another method. method. Yeah, cuz <laughs> not one more. But um it's called the ancestral method. Now, this is what uh, has been used forever by monks. You centuries. Know, centuries. Not just decades, yeah, but centuries. Centuries-long method of um, making sparkling wine. So this is by far the oldest method. That's why they call it ancestral. Um, in the 1500s, the monks of uh, the St. Hilary Monastery came up with this method of making sparkling wine in Lemieux, which I think was probably one of the first places sparkling wine was ever created. I could not figure out, I couldn't find why sparkling wine came about. That's really the question that I want to well, know. So I was going to ask you. Yeah. I don't, was it a mistake? I don't, was it a- I don't think so. I think that they literally created this wine to be bubbly. Um, I mean, I think they were probably making kombucha too. (laughs) (laughs) Or or this might have started off as kombucha. But um, this is basically the approach that's used in all Petnat. Okay. So, yes. Uh, All right. So when we're we're, with this whole... I'm seeing so much more Petnat, um, you know, with the the increase in the natural wine movement. But, you know, not, and there are both filtered and unfiltered Petnats. I'm assuming this was completely unfiltered in the, you know, traditional traditional scene. So tell me, how how is it made? Okay, so there are two different ways. First way is the interruption method, where they take the, the wine and they, interrupt fermentation. So in the middle of fermentation, while the wine is starting to ferment, they take it and bottle it, crown cap it, and they let the rest of it go in the bottle. Okay. So they let they let it do its thing. So similar to traditional method because that that fermentation is finished in, in the bottle. bottle. It's not a secondary fermentation. It's still the primary. It's still the so. first it's still that first fermentation, okay. but before that fermentation is completely finished, they bottle it and cap it. Okay. Okay. They so, could at this point remove yeast if they want to. Um, they most of the time will remove any dead yeast at that point that's already done its job in in fermentation, but they want to keep the the rest of the yeast in the bottle so that it will continue. And that's what gives it that you know, when you get a pet nat, it often will have a kind of a, a little funky, filmy layer at the bottom. Yes. And so, it, yeah, because, I mean, it's not disgorged. Right. Like, it's not, you know, the cap's not 
or, or the the neck isn't frozen and the, the little yeast cap doesn't yeah. pop out. So it has to stay somewhere. It's either so it's in the bottle. So they will disgorge pet nut in this in this process um, just to get rid of some of that. But, but anything that's still viable in the bottle will be left to to finish that carbonation. So um, they will disgorge it. They will take out that. I mean, even though you see a lot of remaining yeast in mm-hmm. a, a lot of pet nuts. It's nothing like it would have been. Right. Okay. Right. Because it, if you see a bottle during um, during secondary, a champagne bottle during secondary fermentation or pet nat during the second half of fermentation when it's in bottle, it is, you can't see through it. It right. is, it looks like, uh, like juice. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's like, it's that, it's that foggy there's so much there's still so much yeast in that bottle so it's similar like you know when you think about um you know wine in a barrel then you're moving to bottle or even in a stainless steel tank if they haven't filtered all the dead yeast cells off you know if you watch a winemaker in bottling they don't they don't drain that tank they don't drain that um that barrel they go down to and very cautiously watch for any particular right. or any particulates any sediment um, but here, because that you know, so you can do that. You can you can have it as much as possible yes. that way, and then whatever still bubbling and fermenting is <clears throat> it's just a natural right. part of it. And, and and if it's and if it's being disgorged, it's being hand disgorged, and it is to remove, you know, excessive excessive yeast or maybe tartaric crystals or you know just. Anything that's not going to complement the but wine. But it's not meant to be exactly the same way as a traditional method. Right. Which, in which you want to get rid of all of it and have a crystal clear, pristine looking wine. Correct. Okay, cool. Well, what is the second? Um, you mentioned that there were two two ways of kind of doing this ancestral method. What's the second one? Um, it's like, it's called intermission. So that's when the primary uh, fermentation is complete, like totally done. Okay. Um, so that means that it's... Fermented to complete dryness, so the yeast eats every Everything. bit of okay. the sugar. So that is the same as what we talked about in traditional method, where yes. you have a, a finished still wine, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then the, the wine is cold stabilized, um, and then they'll they'll enter in a, in the cellar temperature in a tank, and then they'll take they'll take the juice out of that tank. They'll let it, they'll add a little more yeast. A little more sweet juice. They will let the fermentation met or let the yeast re- eat the remaining the uh, sugar. So it is kind of added. a secondary fermentation. Yes, it is. Okay. It, it really is. And then um, and then they bottle. So that way, there's just a little more control over everything that's left in the bottle. So it's still, it would still have sediment because they're not doing the riddling and full disgorgement. So essentially they're forcing a secondary fermentation in the bottle, but what happens, happens. Right. And then, okay. But they're monitoring the amount of yeast that they're adding. Very controlled. That, very controlled. Okay. Um, that way they can control the sediment. That's where you get those pet nuts that look a lot like champagne, that are pretty clear. They're not filtered and fined. They have just been fermented to complete dryness and then adding just a little more. So if I think about those two methods, and we talked at the very beginning about, you know, beady to sparkling, you Mm -hmm. know, the amount of bubbles. 
I'm thinking that in the ancestral method, you're not gonna get that super, super intense champagne bubble. Is this gonna be somewhere in that, This you talked yeah, about, this is this right is a, in that middle. This is right in that, that now this it makes is, sense. This is up to 36%. I mean, 36 PSI, yes. mm-hmm. so between 15 and 36. So that that's a big range. That is the, a big like range. that's more than double. So you can get something that's barely, you know, frizzante. frizzante, and literally you can get something that's frizzante, or you get something as bubbly as most pet nats. Because in that intermission um, uh, process, it's just the second pick of the same grapes. So they okay. pick them later so that they're riper. And that's what's adding so the sugar. So it's a little sweeter. So it's a little bit sweeter. Okay. So, but and it'll then, still, and it can still ferment to dryness, though. It, will, it doesn't mean it, it's going to be sweet. And it will because there's still natural yeast. Yeah. Um, and that's all going in the bottle. So one is fermented to complete dryness. And then there's a second pick that is not fermented to complete dryness. They add that to the existing bottle, the existing fermented wine. Right. And they put a cap on it and let Mother Nature take its course. Mm-hmm. They, so, let, they let Pac-Man do They let Pac-Man with, do his thing. With, with the sugar. I love that. Well, okay, so so now we're starting to see where these winemaking processes really result in what you talked about at the very beginning of different styles. So it's not only the resulting wine and how that drinks, how that feels, and the experience you have, but it's very, very deliberate in the processes of how they're they're made. Right. Cool. cool, cool, um, cool. There's another there's another method. Um it's the Russian. It's called the Russian method or continuous method. Uh, it's when secondary fermentation takes place in steel tanks, um, and they add oak chips, which I've never heard of this. But, but that it, they also have the yeast on them, don't they? Yeah. These little chips. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. It's just continuing to throw, continually yeah. throwing yeast in. Right. Absolutely. And the wine circulates, and then it becomes pretty clear, and then they bottle. And I'm like, okay. So, have you ever had any of this? No, I've never seen it. Never seen. Never it. seen it. I mean, I, I've, I've never seen them. it on a label. Yeah. So I don't know. But as I was researching this topic, I was like, never heard of that. It sounded really interesting because I was doing the same thing um, after you. You kind of sent the notes over, and I'm like, you know, you learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm gonna have to go do some research to see if we can actually find because I'm really curious to see. Because um, to me, it sounds. I mean, when I hear like oak chips, I think of, you know, I think of Bad kind California of, wine. Yeah, just over, <laughs> overly influenced, um, you know, lo- lower end mm-hmm. um, kind of table wines um, that are aiming for a certain style. So I, I was very confused by that one. So and we'll both have to do some more homework and see if we can find a bottle. And this continuous method is probably why the people in France were so pissed when people in Russia were selling champagne russian champagne yeah yeah are labeling it champagne and selling it as champagne because the method is not even close to being and i can imagine that the cost (laughs) of the right the cost of making that wine compared to true champagne yeah yeah Yeah. and we're just going to keep tossing yeasty yeasty wood chips in there and call it bubbles no thank you well um the, our next, uh, the next one you want to talk about. The the really cool thing about it is, you know, our sponsor, um, Texas Wine Club, sent us a sparkling white from Hilmi Cellars down in Fredericksburg, 
And as I was researching, and of course, we've got to taste the wine. That's mm-hmm. never a bad thing. Um, this one, uh, in the notes and um, in doing the research, this one's through forced carbonation in the stainless steel. So I was like, okay, this is really cool because this is kind of the the grand finale of, of ways of making bubbles that you're going to introduce us to, right? Yeah, so this is... this. I mean, some people call it um, just the carbonation method. Some people call it the soda method. But Forth, yeah, and they're calling it forced carbonation. Forced carbonation, so, yeah. yeah. So um, it, it's just what it sounds like. You force carbonation into the wine. So instead of trapping it as we did in Charmant, like they trapped all the CO2 uh-huh. in, the same, in the tank. Um, this is, they are fermenting the wine. Mm-hmm. And then forcing CO two into the bottle, just as you would with soda. Like the, you know what? That's cool because I read some articles about um, home winemaking and the fact that obviously, if you've listened to anything we've said so far, making champagne is not a cheap process. No. So of course, a home winemaker is not going to be able to invest in all of the equipment to do, you know, the riddling, the disgorgement, right. all that stuff. So they were talking about this soda method or or forced carbonation mm-hmm. as a way of making your own sparkling wine. Yeah. So the 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 so I I mean I drink Topo Chico like as water, right? And, and, and <laughs> yeah. Nobody write me about that. I know it's full of sodium. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, you know, all the research says it's really just as hydrating. So go for it. I, I, listen, I feel so much better in 110 degree heat after I've had my incredibly fizzy Topo Chico. <laughs> the bubble but, girl. <laughs> I'm a bubble girl all the way around. So um, one thing about the, the soda process is you will notice that the bubbles in... In the wine, in the sparkling wines that are that use this method, are much more fizzy. Like it gives you bigger, more. I don't know. So you're gonna get you're gonna f- it like champagne can be so soft and subtle and and, and it's and, very and elegant. Give, yeah, and give you those nice moussey, creamy. Some champagnes are have these yeah. nice creamy moussey bubbles. You probably shouldn't ever suspect that or expect that with. Um, Soda forced carbonation. So even just import, you're saying like if I poured two two bottles blind and I pour a champagne, I am going to get like you said that moussey. It almost looks like uh, meringue, egg mm-hmm. white, you know meringue. Mm-hmm. But if I'm pouring something in the soda method, it's going to be kind of like you talked about with uh, your Topo Chico, a fizzy bubble water. It's going to it's it's be bigger. It's going to yeah, the bubbles are just going to be bigger. Not that they won't create that soft little layer you know, on top, but it's not going to stay there. It's going to okay. dissipate quickly. Okay. Um, and then what I found in drinking some of these um, forced carbonation wines is the bubbles do leave the glass a okay. little faster than um, like traditional methods. So when you watch, you know, if, if you pour your wine or your champagne in either a flute, I, I personally like just a regular wine glass for mm-hmm. my bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do, you see those teeny little tendrils of bubbles that are right. just, God, that, that, just gorgeous. And then they just keep like yeah. streaming up from the bottom. It's like a little ballerina dance. Yes. This is more like a rock show? A rock concert? Yes. This is fireworks. That's like, bam, 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 bam. I'm done. 
versus, <laughs> versus champagne is just like twinkle lights that just last all night, you know? So that's great. I, that, that's a great, a great reference. Yeah. Well, but the, I mean, and the wines are inexpensive and meant to be consumed quickly, you know? So one of my favorites that uses, um, a process that they're trying to coin, or I don't know if they have or not, is um, Famille Perrin, and they're using, they they call it uh, Method Contemporane. Okay. And they introduced the CO2 just before they put it in the bottle. So basically they are forced, they're they're forced carbonating it. Mm -hmm. They don't use, yeah, they're forced carbonating it. And then putting it direct directly into the bottle, and then capping it. So they're achieving fermentation of dryness. Uh-huh. You know, they're achieving the the wine that they want, okay. the still wine that they want, and then they're forcing carbonation. So one thing about this is, I know that the still wine is good. So since the still wine is good, I don't mind if the bubbles are gonna dissipate a right. little quick, more quickly. So you're not gonna get, you're not gonna feel. Sad it, when it's kind of flat when at it, the end when of the bubble. Right. When after it the start, fireworks. Right. After the fireworks. And when it starts to fall flat, I'm probably done with it because I've drank it all. But <laughs> Because your glass is empty. Because my glass is empty. But um, also the wine, it will still stand on its own. You know, yeah. because yeah. It's, they produced a wine that they, they would sell still or sparkling. And the intent is very different than the original traditional method where you have these highly acidic wines because you're in cool climates where it doesn't get to the same level of ripeness. It doesn't ferment, you know, with that same complexity. So then you're you're reliant on Pac-Man dead yeast to do it. This is, um, you're starting off with a a really nice, I love that. Yeah. I love that. So, and I, I just think it's, you know, the glass of course does not have to be at the same weight. Right. No, there's no riddling. So the fact that these wines don't have to go through all of the things that champagne goes through or anything in traditional method goes through, it it just allows the the producers to um, put out a product that's good and very affordable. I love so I love that. If you're just that. looking for bubbles, if you just want sparkling, I would um, I would encourage people to start looking mm-hmm. at proseccos. Yeah, cavas. Yeah, I mean, we all know champagne's getting hard to find, and it's get it's getting increasingly and increasingly more. Um, the yields expensive. are getting smaller because the vines are getting older, and but they're 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 lovely. But yeah, weather weather weather's changing. Yeah. Um, another thing that I would suggest for people who love champagne and want to drink champagne, start looking at some growers. Grower champagne is yeah. like. Um, like the the jewel of the Nile because you have these small producers that are only making a couple or a few barrels. You know, they're only producing a few thousand bottles of champagne. They're small guys. They're not, you know, La Dame Grand, Grand you know, Dame. La, La yeah. Grand Dame and they're not Dom Perignon and they're not Tattinger and they're not, you know, so, yeah. yeah. So these, there, there are producers out there that are making fantastic, um, champagne, Blanc de Blancs, Blanc de Noirs, Cuvées, and they are usually twenty to thirty dollars less. Love that. Than some of these big producers because they don't have commercials. 
<laughs> well, and, and, you know, uh, going back to the statement, you know, when I do a, a larger event um, and I want to start with a sparkler, I will go to a Cremant mm-hmm. or I will For go sure. to a Cava um, because I find them tremendous. It gives me everything that I'm looking for in that bubble experience. But, I mean, I can get, well bring it into into my price point. Right. Um, in, you know, Cremant d'Alsace, Cremant de Loire, Cremant de, you name it, or, right. you know, Cava. Uh, they just fit the bill. And so I'm super excited to explore the, the method contemporaine or soda method um, a little bit more in this Helmy Cellars from, from Texas Wine Club. You know, it's it, it's definitely fits that mold of what I love because you know it's designed to to be a celebration or just an, a every, fun listen, everyday experience. You're a bubble you know? girl. You drink it every day. Yeah. No, no occasion needed. Texas Wine Club is a proud sponsor of Some Women Talk Wine. What is the Texas Wine Club? We're wine professionals passionate about the evolution of Texas wine. We have wines blind tasted and rated for our club shipments. We know that Texas winemakers are producing world-class vintages and we help wine enthusiasts discover their next favorite Texas wine. Check the show notes and join today. I I will tell people, um, you know, people think that, you know, you, you pop a bottle at the beginning of like an event. Um, and, but you know, you may have some past appetizers or a little charcuterie finger food, but let me tell you my, like my favorite bubble experiences, um, a, a fantastic bubble with French fries or potato oh, chips. Or popcorn, girl. That, Give me something, oh, yeah, yes. salty, fried. Mm-hmm. I, I have friends who, who think fried chicken, fried chicken is the best pairing with champagne. It, it really is. And since I don't eat meat, I don't get to experience it. That's why I have my potato chips and French fries and bubbles moments. I cannot even, like, I... I want to go get some French fries and pop this ball yeah. right now. I mean, we can do it. And I'll start <laughs> serving French fries for a couple of hours now. But well, I guess we'd have to have um, what are they, a little hash browns. Yeah, we could have that, hash browns. We could have, we have, hash have tater tots. I mean, Listen, so some tater tots. This for is breakfast. only twelve point five. This is definitely a breakfast wine. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly. And and you know, with notes of melon and honeysuckle. I mean, with and with spicy food. Champagne's beautiful with spicy food. Um, so th- this, thank you, Texas Wine Club, for sending us a a not only a beautiful wine, but one that fits right into Sharice's yeah, favorite yes. topic. And thank yeah. you, Hilmi, for producing something so spectacular. I know it's it's ninety um, percent Semillon, which I think is uh, for Texas is one of the up and coming white white grapes. For those of you who aren't familiar, if you think of white Bordeaux, mm-hmm. um, Semillon, and and they're also doing a lot in Australia. Um, single varietal uh, Simeon, yeah. uh, but this has a little bit, a 10% orange Muscat. That's going to give it some of that more aromatic and mm-hmm, florally. Floor, mm-hmm. So um, so this, you know, just those grapes in general are, are an interest, in my opinion, an interesting um, starting point for a bubble. So um, super, super uh, cool wine from Hilmi. I um, love it. Yeah, yeah. So everybody, I mean, hopefully you, just run out and go get a bottle of bubbles now. Um, go, but I, I encourage you all to check out some things that you haven't tried before. Um, you and know, don't give up on Prosecco. Do not give up on Prosecco. Just because you see the big brands in the store, start to look for some of the little guys and pay attention to the labels. 
Um, look at your alcohol percentages. That usually can, uh, that's a usually great indicator of how sweet the Prosecco yeah. is. So, And if you don't like it sweet, look for words like brute or dry. I mean, they have extra brute. Extra brute. Uh, yeah. 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 Extra dry. So those are, that's going to give you that crisp, clean bubble that you're looking for. Absolutely. But yay. So now. Okay. So I, I am dying. You know, we all do, always do the wine find. So of course I looked to Sharice my my bubbly party queen yes. and said well, okay what's your wine find for this and she, <laughs> I'm still yeah. cracking up <laughs> so this is my bubble gun it is not the bubble gun that you see um, that that shoots soap water you know and makes bubbles that you blow this little gun you bubble put a, you put a bottle of bubbles on this thing um, you clip it down and you can spray champagne or any kind of sparkling <laughs> wine this is an outdoor sport everyone any, any direction that you want to so um i have a pool and i like bubbles and we like to have fun so this is one of the things that we like to use in the summertime i to- i have seen the videos and I, it is <laughs> absolutely i mean because literally i thought she was going to walk in with you know that those big bazooka looking uh pool wa- water you know water yeah. guns so super soaker yeah and this i mean this is this is fits, tiny but yeah, mighty i guess it fits nicely in your hand um you it allows you to hold the bottle onto the device and you just pull the lever and it sprays Sparkling well, wine. So you know what? For our um for all of those people rushing to patreon.com, some women talk wine. Yes. Um maybe we need to We will we will we'll do a we'll, we'll do a we'll do a demo for you. We'll for do sure. a, a bubble blaster demo. I can't wait. For sure. We're gonna have to be outside <laughs> in your pool. Yes. I love it. For I love sure. It. But it it is it's a lot of fun. I love it. You can find it on Amazon. Okay, I was just giving yeah. you to ask. They they cost about twenty five bucks. Um, there is a, a branded bubble blaster that runs about ninety nine dollars. They are so cool. You they can they come with accessories. <laughs> so there's a phone holder. Oh my god. So that as you're having your experiences, you can record everything. So it's like a GoPro. Yeah, it's like a built-in GoPro like on a, the bubble blaster. Absolutely. Oh my god, that's hilarious. So I love this little thing. I, I kind of went the cheap route, but there, there's a better, bigger, better version. I'm, I'll make sure I grab that one just because I should. Yeah. I'll get that for our Patreon demo. I, I cannot, absolutely cannot wait. Um, so fun, and Sharice. I'm I'm thrilled we got to finally Yay. cover your favorite topic. I am even more thrilled that you tossed out a few ner- nerdy nuggets. Um, so I am not alone in my nerdiness. I, that's huge. Um, and and again, I'm so appreciative of everyone who has been joining in. Again, like, follow, share, 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 share. Please rate, review. Um, if you'd like to be a sponsor, please check out our Patreon page. We'd love to have you. Um, we will be uploading some videos. Some of our podcasts eventually will end up on our Patreon account as well. Mm-hmm. But um, our, come drink wine with us. We'd love to have you. Absolutely. Because some women talk, talk wine. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.